What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first boardroom out of office podcast. I am Rich Kleiman, and I'm here with my main man, Gianni Harrell. Gianni, what up? What's up? What's up? Number one, man. So excited. I am excited, too. We are finally bringing this podcast to life, the extension of our boardroom brand, man. We're going to be having incredible conversations. We are very fortunate to have incredible guests that will come on and talk to us about their life, their success their pitfalls, what's going on in the world today. And we're just going to talk like we do when we outside the office. Yes, sir. Let's tap in. You know, I, I remember the first time we took that like out of office day and we lined up at Soul House and we had meeting after meeting after meeting. And some of them you sat in and some of them you jumped out for. Some of them you were like, yo, what was that whole thing even about? And some of them you were telling me like, yo, we should bring this to this guy or this guy. And I realized that like our dynamic was perfect for this, man. And there's so much we get done when we're in the office, but so much that has to get done when we out of the office. So, man, I'm excited. Our first guest today, Jack Dorsey, obviously CEO of Square, CEO of Twitter, one of the most philanthropic individuals in the world today, and a dear friend of mine and a friend who shows up, a friend who was there the first time we did the boardroom for ESPN, the first time I'm doing my podcast now, and somebody that I'm honored to call a friend. So, uh, welcome, Jack Dorsey, to Out of Office. Thank you for coming on our first podcast, truly. Yeah, it's an honor, Rich. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited you're doing this. And I love any more conversation in the world, any more podcasts, I think is not good. Yeah, well, you know what? I got to be honest, I never imagined myself doing it. And I was listening to your podcast yesterday that you did a few days ago with The Daily. Yeah. And I thought, like, I listened to it, and obviously I thought the conversation was cool. But for me... That's not what this podcast is. That's not what I'm trying to build here. And, and there's a place for that. But, you know, I really think that sometimes what we don't take advantage of when there's talented and, and incredible minds like yourself and people that have been so successful in their journey is to talk to them about the positive things that they've encountered, the lessons that they've learned that are for sure the same kind of lessons that all of us are going to go through. And we spend so much time criticizing moves or, you know, talking about what's wrong about what they're doing as opposed to kind of really spending some time and celebrating the success and what you've done to give back to the world. And I'm really trying to do that with this side of the boardroom podcast. Yeah. And, I, and I think that we'll ultimately come up with business. I know we will. And in one of these conversations that we're going to have, and I think that's real. No, it's amazing. I mean, it all starts with a conversation. I mean, I, I totally believe you have a ton of business opportunities that follow this and, and probably kick off some ideas that even if you don't want to handle them, people who listen to this will. And that's inspiration enough. Yeah. I mean, I think that side of the business world doesn't get shown enough. You know, most of it is very yeah. industry and I want fans to see it from the sports business perspective, but also just in life and in entrepreneurship. So I have to ask you a question. The first time we ever hung out, I remember you were sitting in front of the fireplace, coach and Fran were there and you told me that one day robots and artificial intelligence would take over the world. And I was thinking to myself last week that has that actually happened? Like we wouldn't even know if it happened. Have we actually been taken over? Um, yes. I mean, it depends on like what part of society, but like think about like everything that's being automated right now. And the whole conversation was around like little by little, you know, we talk about truck drivers and how self-driving trucks will replace the need for their work. And the next big one is like cashiers and, you know, people are already, I mean, you're ordering food from your phone. You're not going in front of a cash register to get it. You're ordering stuff from Amazon. You're not going up to a retail store and interacting with the cashier. So it's happening today and it's going to happen in mass. And what we don't talk about 
enough is like all the, it's coming for every single job, including programmers. I mean, engineers, like a lot of the entry level engineering tasks are being automated away by machine learning and by deep learning and artificial intelligence generally. And we're wasting a bunch of time right now in not training people for new skills. And we're wasting a bunch of time and in not investing in ideas like universal basic income to give people a floor to stand on while this massive shift happens. And it's coming for all of us. It's not any one particular thing. And I think it happens sooner than, than we think, especially like, consider everything that's going on with COVID and how much our lives have changed in just four months, five months. I mean, just focusing on the technology, I think as a country, we're probably behind other countries, namely China in our application of and understanding of artificial intelligence. And I do think it's a race and I think it comes with a ton of power. I think that's the biggest risk. I mean, the conversation we're having at the fireplaces like what are the existential crises that are facing the planet right now? And displacement of work through automation is one big one. Nuclear war is another one that, that feels like it's in the past, but it's still around. And, you know, everything having to do with our understanding of technology and artificial intelligence and what that's replacing in terms of our own decisions is, is pretty critical. And we haven't really taken a step back to, to understand it. And of course, everything going on with the environment as well. Like there's no one country independent of who's the president of this country that can solve any of those problems. It has to be a global cooperation. It affects every single person on this planet and every single person on this planet has to focus on solving it in order to solve it. So the fact that you're so at the forefront of this conversation when the world is what seems to be falling apart in front of our eyes you step up and make these incredible donations and statements and it's inspiring for society and you're polarizing, right? And people have pointed to you on both sides. When you were growing up and you wanted to start your journey, and I'm always interested in this with so many people. I've asked KD about this. He said, and I think we've talked about this, that at eight years old, a, a switch flipped and he was like, I'm going to focus on basketball. And what that meant was I had to be the best I could possibly be in the world, which other human beings don't think that way. At least you have to be wired that way. When you were young, did you want to be regarded for your work? Did you want to be somebody that will go down in history books or did you just have a passion and start to follow it? And this is where we are now. I just wanted to build ultimately. I loved um, the process of creating something and I never really wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never wanted to be an engineer. I didn't want to be a CEO when I was a kid. I saw the computer my dad brought home when I was 14 and it just, it felt like this universe of creation. Like if I could figure it out, I could create something from nothing and I could use it, but more importantly, other people could use it. And that's really what drove me. And then there's just such a addiction and feeling of electricity from seeing something that you've created being used by other people or being watched by other people or being, you know, someone taking joy in, it, in the same way that I'm sure you experience that. And Kevin experiences that. I mean, it, there's an electricity there and it feels incredible. And that's what drives me now is like, I just keep pulling the thread on what this thing is and what it wants to be and how it might be helpful to the world and, and, and other directions and left turns that I could go in order to support it even more. But like, I, 
I mean, just with the giving aspect, when I was a kid, I never expected to ever have any money or live in one place or even be able to afford a house. I thought it'd be renting or camping out somewhere for the rest of my life, just given how I, I grew up. And now that I have this fortunate situation, I just, I want to see all of it go towards good in my lifetime. I want to be selfish in that way and see the impact. This generation in the entertainment business, the idea of getting on and building your own company and, and making it has kind of just taken over the mindset of a, of a young entrepreneur. Whereas you said you just wanted to do the work and you got to this place. If you had like two minutes and you had to, and I'm sure you hate doing this, but how did you get here? What were the steps, the times where like you could have went left, but you went right and it ultimately got you one step further? Because I think that it's hard to see through the woods sometimes for people when they're, when they're building or chasing and they have a, an end goal. Yeah. But to get there, you know, you don't sometimes go straight. Never. And it's never, it doesn't even feel like I'm here. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's reality. And I can speak to like what I think in retrospect has helped a lot. Number one is like, I did have a, a very strong sense of like what I wanted to do in the world and what my purpose was. And I think being able to, even if you don't have a clarification of it today, forcing yourself every single day to write down your purpose on this planet. And it can be just terrible to begin with, but every single day you're going to refine it. And you may day to day to day not change it at all. And that's okay. But just a constant reminder of why you're here and what you learned and how that might affect your purpose. And once you have a sense of that, like things really start to line up and the next steps become a whole lot more obvious. And I think the other skills I've tried to develop are number one, like self-awareness. So just being able to observe my own actions and my own reactions and my own failures and my own mistakes. I mean, in the same way that like I've seen Kevin watch his play and watch his sport um, and just study and be a student of himself and be a student of his interactions with everyone else. I've learned so much from watching basketball and, and just, you know, how, and, and watching other fields on how that awareness is and work ethic is, is brought together. And then third is like critical thinking. If you think about any business or any organization, its only purpose is to solve a problem and solve a problem in a creative way that sets it apart from other organizations or individuals solving the same problem. So if you can hone your skills of problem solving, if you can get better at asking critical questions, critical thinking, and really focus on like, what helps you approach this problem and create a solution better than anyone else. That's where the magic is because it really like every business, every organization, every government, they only exist at the very core, the very highest level to solve a particular problem, solve a customer problem, solve anything. And, and uh, the more skill you have around that, the easier everything is going to be. And what I got from engineering and teaching myself how to program the most is just how to solve problems better. That was it. And I'm so grateful for that. So was there a point in building, you know, like sometimes I think the self-awareness line that you said is so big because I think you have to be able to know what your place is within your industry yeah. um, and kind of within your world as you're building your product and as you're starting your climb and your extension and business is to know really where you are. Like, what do people really think of your product that you're building? Like, is it as big as it is in my mind? Mm. When did you realize, like, this is something that I never could have imagined? Oh, yeah. 
first, I mean, there's been multiple moments even today. There's things that I would have never imagined and how people are using both Twitter and, and Square. But I mean, the, the first one was in Twitter's history was um, when Obama was elected after his first 100 days, he gave a speech before all the senators and congresspeople. And I was watching it live on CNN and the camera started panning around and it was showing all these congresspeople and senators on their phones. And I thought, wow, that's like so rude. The president's speaking and, you know, they, they seem not to be listening. And then my pocket buzzed and I took out my phone and it was the senator from Missouri, my home state, Claire McCaskill. And she was tweeting about her friend, Barack Obama, doing his first speech in front of the House of Representatives. And I had never felt that close to government. Like it always felt like an abstraction. And then it was just like, I'm seeing this whole thing unfold in real time, which was, was so surreal and, <laughs> and cool. And, and to know that I had a part in building that capability was like an immense joy in the moment. And then we went back to all the problems that we had to fix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always a roller coaster up and down. Like you feel good for a moment and then it's like, Oh, well, they don't know about all this other stuff that's completely broken and had sucks. And like, we're, we're absolutely terrible at our jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like you, you do pick your head up out of water, yeah. but then it's like, you take one breath, you see where you're at and you're right back in. Yep. So when you found some level of success monetarily in your life and your way of living changed, and I know from knowing you that you'd have to really know who you are to really know that your way of life had changed or that you, um, you know, that you had been able to have so much success because you really seem to be simple in a lot of ways in terms of what you need for yourself. And, and because of that, I sometimes wonder when I see the stress that you must be under and I see you on these briefings and you're in DC and in the most critical moments in our world, you're at the forefront of this um, because a lot of ways it looks like you could sit in isolation and do yoga and be happy for the rest of your life. <laughs> do you ever have to really push yourself to keep going through all of this when you know, like financially you're set, like that kind of thing? I don't really think about the money aspects of it. Part of what, because like all my value is really tied up in these two companies. I have to sell shares in order to get access to any of that. Let me just clarify before you answer. What I mean by that is there is a simple fact to life a lot where somebody gets to a, a place in their rise as a businessman where paying bills, for instance, or, or supporting your family or making sure that you know your kids can go to school and and their kids becomes like okay now i'm not worrying about money yeah. so i'm driving myself and not that any young entrepreneur is driven by money it's the idea it's the challenge it's the win but the day-to-day -day hustle and grind that you're still in with two companies and what you do philanthropically it amazes me is there ever times where you just have to think about it like truly think about like pushing through still uh, yeah I mean, every day there's a new stress, but like I get so much, I love learning and like, I can't, the fortunate situation that I'm in and that I have, I'm a part of two companies at scale doing completely different things. And I get to see this like perspective in the world that I wouldn't have otherwise. It's just incredible. And that's what really drives me and like makes all the stresses okay. And, you know, it, it's also like, 
how to creatively adapt to all the new stresses because every stress brings an opportunity to bring on a new practice. And like, you know, when I went back to Twitter and took on the, on the second job, like I got super serious about meditation and I got really serious about just, you know, dedicating a lot more of my time and energy to working out and staying physically healthy and looking more critically at my diet. And like, I had to, um, just to stay above water. And like, I'm so grateful for those stress points that made everything in my life better. And I wasn't expecting that at all. So like I see every experience I have is like a teacher. Every person I meet is a teacher. And my goal is like, what am I supposed to learn from this thing? And when I wake up, like that's, that's it. Like I, at the end of the day, I write down, what did I learn today? What, what truth did I discover? And I, I can't think of anything more valuable than that. You write notes every day? Yeah. I've been keeping a journal since I was 14. And like my journals have like become a little bit more structured where I, where I just like answer questions. Like what truth did I discover today? That's one of them. Who am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? They're, they're just so helpful to like remind me of what's important. Do you think that that balance is imperative? And do you think that either you as a younger entrepreneur or entrepreneurs in general need to be careful about burning themselves out and going too hard? A hundred percent. I mean, I think being too rigid about having to work all hours versus what is the work trying to teach me about what I need to do personally to maintain this level or to extend or go beyond the level? The latter is the mindset I want to have and, and what I would recommend. And it's hard. You make all these mistakes along the way, but that, that's where I think that self-awareness and that power of like self-observation comes in. Because if you don't have that, it just becomes really challenging and you do, you do burn out and you, you minimize that rigidity takes options off the table ultimately. And, and you won't know it because you're so determined, like success means I work, you know, 20 hours a day and I sleep four because that's what I read that Elon Musk does, which is bullshit. <laughs> you know, and it's just, if you're only observing the outside world instead of like your reaction to it, then we're missing the opportunity to, to raise a bar on ourselves, which, you know, I think is, is, is the best way to grow. Only way to grow. But it's definitely, Gianni, I know for me when I was growing up, you know, in New York, the people that were on the cover of New York Magazine, the entrepreneurs I looked up to were Jay-Z, were Puff Daddy, were Jimmy Iovine. And, and like the calling card a lot, what you heard a lot was like working 24-7, you know, no, no days off. Is that still the conversation in, you know, Gianni's 25, right, G? Right. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to get into that because I feel like Everyone my age, all my friends, like, yeah, we're working hard. We got these new jobs, but everybody wants to look like they're working hard instead of actually work hard. So, you know, speaking to both of you yep. who actually work hard and have things to show for it, you spoke a little bit about your disciplines, about your meditation, your journals, but I kind of want to get into like the very specific post-COVID era. Like, what was, were you working Monday, Friday, 10 to 6, 10 to 8? Like, what is that life like? Well, I mean, before COVID, it was, um, I would wake up at five, I do my meditation, have a coffee, I would walk into work, and my work is five miles away. And it took me about an hour and 20 minutes to get there. 
And that time was so important to me because I had time to think by myself and I also would listen to podcasts or audiobooks, so I'd, I'd learn. And the most important thing about that, that morning is like I meditated, which means I calm my head. I did some physical exercise. I learned in, you know, just a short, like effectively three hour window before all my meetings started. I already won the day. Like no, the day could be a terrible day. And I feel like I already did so much for myself. And I felt like I had another day entirely. And that confidence was so important. And then I spend the mornings at Twitter for folks on Twitter stuff and the afternoon and evening folks on square stuff. And then went home and made myself dinner um, and then kind of wound down. But I, I would rather optimize for making every hour meaningful or every minute meaningful than I would maximizing the number of hours or minutes I'm working on the thing. Because I just found that the maximization of time takes away from the quality within the time I do have. And if I can remove all the things that are not important in the hour that I have before me, and really focus, I just get so much more done and time really slows down. So the hour feels like three hours. And you know, you can make this time just so fungible and flexible if you really understand how to how to focus on it. And and that's where meditation has helped me the most is self awareness and the and the focus aspect. It's a great tool. I saw you shut your offices down till when? Well it's definitely until the end of the year, but it might be beyond that. We we were one of the earliest companies, like early March, we asked everyone to work from home at both companies around the world. Why did you feel like you needed to announce so long-term so soon? Um, I mean, we kind of saw what was happening and we had also been working for over a year, if not two years around decentralizing our offices, decentralizing the way we work. And the reason why is like every entrepreneur I talk to that's doing something internet related today, they're starting their companies not having an office, not having a headquarters, not having a requirement that everyone has to be in San Francisco because no one wants to move to San Francisco anymore. No one can afford to live in San Francisco anymore. So they're hiring people all over the country, all around the world. And that's kind of the whole promise of the internet. And that's what I grew up with believing in the internet so much is it, it makes location irrelevant. But here we are in the internet company that's completely centralized in San Francisco and we're not living up to the ideals of like what the internet inspired us to be and, and, and what it can show. So we wanted to get on it as quickly as possible. And we took any reason to, and we just wanted to make sure we were protecting our people and our communities around us. And we didn't know what was going to happen, but we could tell it wasn't going to be great. Um, so uh, there's two bodies that can affect individual lives in a significant way. And that is our governments and, the place we work and we took on that responsibility and just made sure that we were doing our part if our government wasn't wasn't going to yeah no i love what you did i mean i think the reality is you probably set a a certain tone for your, the culture of your organization too that yeah like their health will be first imminently and if you have stuff to take care of at home you'll deal with that first and yep. i think that goes hand in hand with like workloads lessening you know, the energy around business and the temperament in which people spoke to you and when you were coming up as a 
as a young guy in business, like you thought it was okay to be spoken to a certain way by, you know, people that maybe were a bit more experienced than you and people that were successful, you felt like maybe that they were a dick, like they had to have been a dick to get there. I know you weren't, you know, like I see the way you carry yourself. I know that there's no way you went through anything in life. And as close as we are as friends, we haven't done real business together, but I know that you're always on the side of right, even if you're not doing what the other person on the other end of that conversation wants. Do you think that what's gone on in our world is changing the temperament and how we're going to build and, and become successful and communicate in this world now where like, you don't have to cut someone's throat to get to the next step. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, I, my, my whole thing is like, I'd, I want to build a organization and a company that endures beyond me and serves generation after generation after generation. Like, I look at Disney and like, you know, Disney is a company that has outlived the founder. It has the same values of the, the founder. It's, you know, doing things probably above and beyond what his original dreams were. And that's incredible. I imagine he would be quite proud of, of what he was able to spark off. And like, if we're building a company where it's dependent upon one asshole yelling at people or creating a culture of that, and that person goes away eventually, then the company goes away too because it, it's built up that whole memory. I'd rather build a company where there's no single points of failure. There's no dependency upon any one person, including the CEO or the founder. And we're actually thinking about building systems and frameworks of creation and how we correct each other on a team basis and how our roles as leaders, and this is what I, what I get so much from basketball is like, is more of a coaching role and you know just kind of an observational role and like how i can understand some patterns of ways we might improve but the team itself is is doing the work and making the decisions and and making the calls like in the moment because they're closest to the customer or closest to the ball or closest to the to the action so like i i would rather just put all my energy in building frameworks that make my work effectively irrelevant because that means the company will go on and persist without me. When you say the company, is it Square and Twitter? Yeah, both of them. I want to do the. I want to do the same for both. And also, like with with my giving as well. Like, I, I intentionally gave Square Equity. I gave a billion dollars of Square Equity, just because I have more Square Equity than I do Twitter. And because it's equity, that LLC, the Star Small LLC, now has gone up to. 2.8 billion in just four months because the company has done well. And that means that we have $2.8 billion worth of resources to help with universal basic income, girls' health and education and, and COVID relief. And every single person in Square knows that their work results in natural increase without them having to do anything else in what Start Small is able to do. So there's a further alignment of incentive there. And I, I just love models like that where I don't need to tell people like do better work because as they see, they do great work, their own value increases in their own equity. And this thing that I was able to, to create with our equity also increases, which helps so many people that they care about. Can I ask you a layman's question? Always. <laughs> Would you have to pull the money out if like these companies market was crashing and you- you needed to reserve that money for its use? Um, 
I mean, we we yeah. Is that even a layman's question, though? That might not be the definition. No, of- that's a fairly complicated question with a lot of complicated <laughs> ramifications. You stop me. You stop me for a minute. Um, I think if there was a trajectory around it going down, then the LLC would sell to preserve as much as it can. I feel like this is the kind of question I would ask you if we were out for dinner, right? And hundred percent this kind of like, <laughs> yeah. And I would be stumped for a minute. <laughs> Do you see a time or, or how long do you think, and I know it's tough for you because in one way it's tough for you to answer these questions publicly. So sometimes, especially when I have a guest that's a close friend, I may ask something that, you know, I have to be sensitive to the role you have in this world. But how long do you like see that you could run two companies of this magnitude? You know, I have uh, 20 employees and um, we're proud of the work we do and we have a lot of kind of balls in the air, but you know, when I hear about, and obviously your infrastructure supports you, it's all relative, but you're running two of the bigger companies in the world. How long can you do that? I don't know, but I mean, I, I guess the, my main focus is like, how do I continue to build a system where the success of the companies is not dependent upon that answer? You know what I mean? It shouldn't be dependent on like how long I can do it. It should be dependent on like, do we have a system and a framework such that like I'm effectively irrelevant? And that to me is success. And that's when I feel comfortable departing because there's so much opportunity for both companies and what they can do for society and the positive that I'm so proud of. And we're not even close to the realization and the manifestation of that yet. And, and that's what I'd love to see. But more importantly, I just, I want to make sure I'm building a framework that it's not dependent upon me and we're getting closer every day. So as long as you have, more to give and what you can give is going to help the company and benefit what you guys are building, you'll be there. Yeah. As, as long as the company finds me relevant, I'll be there. If they don't find me relevant anymore and they want you to lead the company, you step in, lead it. I'll be ready for you. <laughs> By the way, relevance, relevance. I've been talking about this with a lot of my friends, especially friends that have kids who don't keep up. Like you cannot get older in the world of business or entertainment, music, sports, fashion, art, in my opinion, yeah. and lose touch. Yeah. Can't be out of touch. No, it's, and it's tough. How do you keep up? But I mean, I, I think like if you have kids, you have a unique advantage in that they're growing up only knowing the internet exists and it's global. They're growing up only knowing that this thing, this pandemic exists and what it did to us and like what that means for their future. I mean, it's a pretty incredible perspective and i would i mean I, I know kids ask us a lot of questions but i'd be asking all the questions of them because that perspective is going to be so telling in terms of what needs to be built next that's true it's true i think that um kids are very telling i think surrounding yourself with young people you know again gianni and my chemistry when he started coming with me to meetings when we were on the road or if we were just decided to get out of the office for a day is imperative, at least for me, as I try to stay relevant and build things that are important on platforms where younger people are consuming. Do you have young people around you too? As I mean, you obviously are relevant and in touch. That's why I hang out with you, Rich. That's why I talk with you. Jack, I'm 43. <laughs> Am I older than you? No, we're the same age. We're the same age. When do you turn 44? November 19th. I'm the 27th. So I'm eight years, I'm eight days younger than you. You're right. You got to keep me close, bro. Yeah. See? 
That eight days is a lifetime. It is a lifetime. It could Plus, be. I was in New York, you in Missouri, so it's like eight years. Exactly. You, you accelerated so much faster than me. What can your two platforms do in the future? Obviously, Twitter's relationship with the NBA is... Incredible. Incredible. Love, love. What more can you do? And I know Twitter's streaming WNBA games live, which is incredible. But what more can you do, and what are you looking to do in the sports world with both Twitter and Square? Well, I think why our, our relationship with the NBA and WNBA is so amazing is because the NBA is down to be creative and like rethink and not take anything for granted and, and just invent. And that's so refreshing um, for sports leagues. And I'm just blown away by, you know, the constant open-mindedness of the organization. And I just love that. So like just being able to sit down with the team and like brainstorm and, and rethink some old models uh, especially in a time like this with, with COVID and everything that's going on with the bubble is pretty awesome. And, and we're going to learn so much in this compressed time frame that I think will really help um, in the future. But like for Twitter, like the, just the, the fan experience, I mean, just to be able to get into Kevin's head every now and then and actually understand how he's thinking and what he finds funny and see him off court and, you can do this with like Snapchat and Instagram and, but there's nothing more powerful to me than like the written word in terms of it's the thinking that it relays to someone. And like, I, I get, you know, I get the ability to see how Kevin thinks and that's just so valuable. And that's what really draws me to, to sports and Twitter is like you, you see a completely different aspect and dimension. That's not just for show not just a video of like what I'm doing right now or what I have or what I, where I'm going, but it's like, this is what I think. And, you know, the NBA has also been, you know, an organization of activists as well. And um, I think that voice is so important and it's been so inspiring to so many people in other industries as well, that the NBA shows up that way and the players show up that way. Is there more you can do with other leagues is, is televising or streaming content, in the future for Twitter? It has to be. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've played a lot with it and um, I think there's more to be had there. It's just a function of, like, are, how are we adding above and beyond what you would get uh, on a television screen? And it has to be, you know, so much more incredible than that in a higher bar. Because the reality is, like, at least today with folks our age, like, not a lot of people are watching games on on this form factor they, they want to see it on a, a bigger screen but as a compliment as like seeing the conversation going on while watching the game there's definitely a lot more we can do there but i think younger kids are, are watching games on their on their mobile devices and and many people around the world they don't have another screen this is it so certainly there is something more there but i, I think there's still a lot to be figured out in terms of rights and the interplay with the, the television networks and and the leagues and whatnot that is all new and somewhat risky and maybe folks are precious about a little bit as well. Gianni, are you on Twitter? Of course. Been on Twitter since day one. Where does it rank in your social media engagement? Oh, shit. Sorry. You can be honest, yeah. Uh, number <laughs> number three. <laughs> so it goes Instagram, Snapchat, 
Instagram, Snap, Twitter. and then Twitter. What about you, Jack? It's the, the ex- exact opposite of that. <laughs> Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram? I don't really use Instagram. I love what Snapchat has innovated around. I, I think they're I think they're phenomenal. I don't use a lot of Facebook products. Many, actually. Do you have beef with Mark? <laughs> uh yeah, there's there's different approaches, Rich. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I go Twitter because you're here, Instagram, <laughs> and then I don't even have Snapchat. So if I wasn't here, it'd just be Instagram, and then no, no, no. I'm on Twitter a lot. I actually, to be honest, he's with you, on Twitter heavy. Yeah, my Twitter no, I voice. I I'll, I'll tell you, Jack. My Twitter voice. I like. I can't seem to grow my following, man. I can't get over a hump, but I'm starting to get my voice though. But we'll see what happens. You, you got to treat your Twitter like you do your text messages. Oh. You got to treat it like you're texting with the world. That's the mindset shift. Like the, the more authentic it is and feels instead of like statements or it's just got to be off the cuff and, and constant. Mm. That's where we see the most uh, building of audience. Yeah. But the more it gets into your like thinking process and shows that off and the rawness. It's the kind of thing I would write though. Yeah. yeah. Most of the stuff I write, I would write, but I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, do you think you'll get married before you slow down and work? I would. I would love to get married. I mean, I don't even have a girlfriend right now, so I'd one step after another. Unless you're arranging a marriage for me, then that would consider only from you. Well, let me ask you a question, <laughs> Gianni. If you could, Jack, I'm not even going to ask this question. I'll ask. Let me ask. If you don't mind, Jack, I got to ask you. Um. <laughs> Who's your celebrity crush? Oh, that wasn't my question, but I know his answer. I already know his answer. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say it. I won't blow you up. <laughs> it's a safe place. That's true. Let's just say all three of us know her. <laughs> That'll be my clue. Um, Jack, when you meet young people, do they ask you for advice? Do they ask you, is there anything you give young people that are starting in any walk of life or any business um you know i hear kevin ask this a bit when he goes to camps and clinics i think athletes are asked a lot because a lot of the lessons a lot of the language is something that everybody can relate to and i think it's why you use the coach reference and why i know the warriors and how they manage personalities was something that inspired you what do you say to young people to people like coming up in the world that have access to you well, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to that advice of like finding your purpose. Like, I just think that's so critical because it can be so distracting otherwise if you don't have a good sense of like why you're here on this planet and what you want to do with your life. And it's just so clarifying. And then like just building up those skills of self-awareness and observation and then problem solving, critical thinking, like no matter what you do, whether it be basketball or coaching a team or building a business or being an engineer or working at a company or working in government, it's all problem solving at the end of the day. It's like a new problem emerges like right in front of you and you have to get figure out how to decompose it and break it down and then like solve it in a way that's unique. So to me, that's the only skill that's required in terms of success. And uh, it's a hard one to learn and people don't tell you to learn it. They kind of, tell you to do all these other things like learn how to program or learn how to become an engineer, learn like the outcomes instead of like what the skills are to make better outcomes. And I'd rather like focus on the skills to increase the potential of the outcome and the, 
and the magic of the outcome than like driving towards like a particular outcome. Well, man, any young person that gets access to that info right there is blessed. And I know, gee, we are blessed. I appreciate you truly. You showed up for our first season of the boardroom. You showed up for our first podcast. You are a good friend, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited for this. I'm going to subscribe to it. Thank you so much. Yeah, subscribe to it, bro, please. That's the only way yep. you'll hear your own show. Well, where is it Where is it coming out? It's coming out everywhere you get your podcast. That's the line I'm told okay. to read, bro. Everywhere you get okay. your podcast. Ask yeah. me where that is. I don't know yet, but when I find out, I'm going to go get this subscription myself. I use a podcast app on Apple, so I'll be listening to you on that. There you go. All right. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Good luck. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you both. All right, Jack. Thank you. Wow, Jack Dorsey, man. Everything I knew it would be. That was the way to start off our Out of Office podcast, bro. Man, so insightful, so chill. Such a great interview, man. Nice job, Rich. Thank you, man. Thank you. I wanted him to answer your celebrity crush, but I, I think I know what the answer is, so I'll tell you offline. Me too. We can just infer. But I'll tell you, like for me, that's what this is about. I, I know that the conversations at times may lead to a business idea we think of or all of us collaborate or, or a philanthropic endeavor we can all embark upon from conversations. But most of all, I want people to be able to hear these conversations and find them relatable. You know, like you can't always hear the intricacies of details of the business they're growing because that is not something that everybody could connect to but what got people to the level of success that they're at there is a common trait and there is something that i think that you know when you hear the people you look up to and you hear the people that inspire you that have built things that you look up to and say things and say moments in their life that sound like yours that makes you keep going you know and that's what i want to do because for me those people even if i knew i was never going to be professional athletes some of the lessons some of the things that I heard these athletes saying when I was growing up those things motivated me and when I was older and I started reading about industry tycoons and business minds and people that started companies and run studios and what they went through and I said man that's similar to what I had to do when I was you know left college or this this and this so I'm hoping that that's what we can give people man and I think Jack was the perfect set off and that dude is man two of the biggest companies in America, this man is running, in the world. Hell yeah. And to your point, you know, I think that the ability to take a skill from somewhere else and apply it to your own method and your own madness, whatever your focus is, like, for example, Jack is learning from NBA players how to run his company. Like, that's fly to me. No, it's crazy. I think he uh, embodies, like, the whole spirit of what this is going to be. Like, not one question that we asked him, did he look at us like we was crazy? Like, he's never been like that from the moment I met him, man. And, you know, I think he has a lot of respect for what we're building, and he doesn't look at what people are doing in terms of the money they make, but what they're accomplishing and what they're bringing to the world, and he values sharing information as well. And, you know, I definitely always learn from him. He's a good friend, man. He shows up, and, uh, man, I don't know where he is in the world, though. I feel like that's his M.O. I feel like he's keeping a low pro. I didn't ask him. Yeah, no idea, but that beard game is strong. Beard game is strong. I tried the Corona beard, but look crazy, man. When you're bald, it, you got it's a big commitment. <laughs> All right, bro. Well, listen. Next episode, I think we'll be even more comfortable. Keep sharing information. Keep telling stories, and uh, yeah, let's keep this out the office, boardroom out of office, man. I'll see you soon, G. Yes, sir. See you in a minute. <laughs>